Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. The guest has arrived. The host is prepped and ready. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one-on-one with Bill Alexander. Hi, everybody. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and welcome to one-on-one with Bill Alexander. Today is a real treat. And I know I say that a lot, but this time it really is because I'm talking to someone that especially my age would remember watching on TV when they were a kid. And who am I talking to? I'm talking to Nellie Olson from Little House on the Prairie, otherwise known as Allison Angram, who Grimm, I'm sorry, who is on the program today, who is talking to us about her book, her career and everything else. Allison, how are you doing today? I'm fabulous. How are you? I'm doing really well. Looking forward to this. Um, so much so that I even had a root canal today and I was able to get through the root canal because I knew I was going to talk to you. Oh, that's so crazy. My husband was just at the dentist. Luckily, it was the consultation part before they go in and like do bone grafts. So he's like, <laughs> he's ordering a pizza. We just ordered a pizza. Hey, if a pizza gets delivered in the middle of this, don't, you know, don't be surprised. Hey, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. And that's, that's odd because that's what I had for dinner tonight. So go figure that one out. But Allison, how are you doing today? I'm so glad you could be with me. And I'm so glad that you're here to talk with us. So much going on. So busy. I mean, well, for starters, I'm freezing. It's L.A., but we're now we had like the insane heat wave in the summer and now we're having the cold snap and we had the rain, which we badly needed. But it actually is. It's rather cold. I got the heat cranked up and the fuzzy socks on like I'm in Massachusetts <laughs> or something. It's completely insane. Um, doing stuff. I, I'm I signed up for all those things that actors sign up for um, cameo and now memo out of Europe. And I got inundated. Apparently, everyone in the entire world wants Nellie Olson to wish their relatives a Merry Christmas. And my phone, like, blew up. I actually had to put it, like, on hold because it's like I have, like, 20, 30. I'm like, ah, I can't do this. Um, so that's happening. I have a show Saturday. Ah, day after tomorrow, I'm doing a show online. I um, During the pandemic, I started doing stand-up out of my living room. So you could go on stageit.com and get tickets to uh, Nasty Nellie's Naughty Noel. Um, <laughs> oh, that sounds like Saturday. Fun. Yeah, eight o'clock New York time, five o'clock Pacific time. So yeah, we do. It's just completely insane. Um, It started when I had a club date, uh, Mother's Day of 2020. And of course, I said, well, it's New York. And we can't, everything's shut down. We don't know what to do. And people were like, oh, man, I said, nope, not good. It's all can't, everything was canceled. And then they called and said the people who booked the club said, you know, a lot of our talent, we've got a lot of cabaret people, drag queens, comics. They're using the stage thing. They're doing online. Can you do it out of your living room? And I went, I I guess I can. And next thing I know, I'm going, hi, welcome from my living room to your living room and doing my show literally in the living room. So how how do you compare that to being on the stage? Because I know you can't get the same effect, but you're still able to give the same message. It's really crazy. It's really crazy because um, as, as I love being able to say this, and as I was explaining to Rich Little, 
because that's like a thing that totally happens. The fabulous impressionist Rich Little, um, who's like four nights a week at the Tropicana, still alive, still working constantly well, at the Tropicana. I was just going to say that. I didn't realize he was still alive, but I shouldn't say that. Oh, he swims so many laps a day. He's on his exercise <laughs> bike and he does four nights a week at the Tropicana. He is like cranking it out. And so the pandemic hit, he got mad because he's like, I have to work. They're like, well, you really can't go anywhere. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I have to perform. And right. so he said, but didn't Allison do one of those internet shows? So next thing I know, I'm in Rich Little's living room. And I said, remember those shows we used to do in the 70s where they didn't have a studio audience and they would just sweeten it and put in the laugh track later. Mm -hmm. And you'd stand there and do your stand up in an empty room and like the crew would chuckle and then they'd put it all in. He goes, Oh God. Yes. I went, yeah. If you live through that gig, it's, it's that job again, just for day. Went, oh, Oh, I remember how to do that. Great. Fine timing. And so, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like the, you know, when you do Don Kirshner's rock concert, it's like nobody there. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, I mean, luckily I had Bob, my husband, Bob is on camera computer and he still laughs in all the right places, which, well, that's good. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Thank God. Um, and then also he can see the comments when he's doing it. He mm -hmm. can see the comments. So people are posting that they like, oh, I like that. <laughs> they like that one. So bizarre. But I, I mean, I can see comments when I do my Facebook readings. I was doing this thing every day, reading Little House books on Facebook Live. And I could see their comments and then I could answer people. Um and that sort of led into the next thing. Then I have the cooking videos. And then I said, the cameo and the memo. And then I did start doing live stuff this year. I was in New York in September. I did um, a club called Caveat. And I did the Rochester Fringe Festival. I did my show there. It was great. And we're all masked up, masked and vaxxed and plastic mm -hmm. shielded and whatnot. I was in like a hazmat suit. It was great. We did it. And then I actually went to France in October right before they had their whatever their fifth wave they're having um and things their numbers were really good and you have to be vaccinated to get into a theater in france so we did the show and i you know i was home a week and their numbers went back up i'm sorry to say but we i've been able to safely i mean i made a movie during the pandemic we did daily testing and temperature check and stuff so we've using all the various covid protocols i have been able to safely without killing me or anyone else, uh, get in some live entertainment. But then I'm also doing the online too, because now it's getting cold and people don't want to leave the house. And there you go. And there I am in your living room there, you know, right online. So I'm, I'm covering all my bases. <laughs> I never, I never realized until just now that you do stand up. Oh, heavens. I started doing stand up when I was like 15. I was on the show. And of course, I was being, you know, the evil bitch that I was on the show yes. and just scaring people to death, which I so enjoyed. I really do. When you, you say, you know, oh, I hated you. So thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but that was the thing. It's like you have to back in the 70s, people who even couldn't sing would sing and, you know, go on talk shows and go, no, right. I'd like to sing. It'd all be like terrible. But they'd, um, except for David Hasselhoff, who's like pretty good. So but you would have these things. And I was like, oh, God, I'm not, I can't do that. So. I liked comedy and um, my father was managing all these comics. My father was a manager and I, I went to see the, this comic um, and I actually kind of gave this guy a hard time. And he's like, you think this is so easy? You should try it. And I went, good idea. So I got together with these comedians that I knew because my dad mm -hmm. was managing all these people and they wrote an act. And next thing I know, I'm 15 and a half and I'm getting up in clubs and it, it worked. And so I was doing four nights a week at, you know, the comedy store and the improv and all over town through all through my teens and then started touring in my late teens, early twenties. Um, and around 2000, Two, yeah, oh, 2002 was when I started my one woman show of all true stories called Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, which then, of course, then the book and the thing right. and the, and here we all are. It just like blew up. So, 
so what's interesting is, is that, and you, you say this in the book that you had fun doing this because you were the prairie bitch because you got away with more than, than Mary and Lara and anybody else, because you were allowed to be that villain in the series. And when did they, when did they cast you or when, how old were you when they casted you for the part? I just turned 12. And the funny thing was, you know, people talk about making a comeback. Little House was actually the comeback role. I'm, I'm on my 57th comeback. Um, <laughs> I, really, I, I had a whole career before Little House. It was very bizarre. I started working with about like, well, I guess five. My SAG card says member since 1967. So I got my first job at like five. I was doing commercials. I did a big Hunt's Ketchup commercial. Uh, I did a movie when I was 10, Throw Out the Anchor with Dina Merrill and Richard Egan. Yes. What the heck? Go, go figure. So I was doing all this stuff. And then when I was 11, I wasn't working very much. And my father actually sat me down and said, you know, many child stars stop working at 11 or 12 and don't really work again until they're adults or, or ever. So mm -hmm. I literally get the your career may be over speech at 11. And then a few months later, I got Little House. So that was like, that was literally the comeback. I had my career. At all. I'd already had a midlife crisis and had my career and it was planning my retirement when I went on this audition. <laughs> it's completely insane. So I go to this first one. I went on what they call either the go see where you go, you go visit the nice people. And they say, well, we're making a show about these books, blah, blah, blah. And I hadn't read the books. I had no idea what they were even talking mm -hmm. about. And then I read for the part of Laura and I read for the part of Mary, which would have been wrong. Either one, wrong. And I knew when I had been like, I am not right for this part. This, right. I'm not a farm girl. And then I forgot all about it because they went, they made the pilot. They hired Melissa Gilbert and Melissa Swain. They made this show. So I'm like going about my business and reading for other stuff. And I get this call to come back and read for Little House in the Prairie. And I'm like, we did that. How many people are on this thing? Cast of thousands. So I get there and there's these, they give me the pages and I have no idea because I didn't read the books. I don't know there is an Ellie Olson. I have no clue. Mm -hmm. And I get these pages and this girl is awful. I turned to my father and said, this is not normal. This is not a normal part. He says, what do you mean it's not a normal part? I said, she, she's terrible. What do you mean? She, she's a bitch. My father says, what? Because child actor parts, especially in the like now, there's much, I'm so pleased to see there's much more of a range they're allowing yes. young performers to have yeah. and to do interesting things. But in the 60s and 70s, it was that very cliche. Remember those poor kids in Mary Poppins? Oh, yes. Aren't, aren't they like almost like in junior high and they talk <laughs> like they're five? Yeah, yeah you're right. How, you watch movie six and these children who are like, 12 they should be like taking algebra they're almost ready to have driver's right. ed and they're going mommy and you're uh -huh. like seven and it's it's like horrible and so this is what they kid actors were all Neh. and the scripts are like yes mother oh dad oh geez and i just like i'd be like sick reading this stuff um it was rare that you had a part for a young person that had any like depth or anything other than like the perfect little child so it's kind of boring so here I'm reading this and she's not, yes, mother. She's telling everyone to go to hell. <laughs> right. She's telling them what it is. I know. Yeah. Girl. So I read it for my father. He starts laughing hysterically. He says, that's, this is incredible. He says, okay, don't, don't rehearse it. Don't read it again. I go, don't read it. He goes, no, in fact, don't, he snatches the, puts the pages face down, takes them out of my hands. Cause don't even look at it. Don't even look at it again. Read it like exact, read it cold. Exactly like that. Just go in and do that. I'm like, okay. So I go in and there's Michael Landon and there's Kent McRae and there's Dead Friendly, the original, all the original producers lined up on a couch. And I, I mean, I know who Michael Landon is basically. Right. Oh, yeah, the guy from Nancy. So I sit down 
and they're very nice. They they were so nice to all the actors and even the kids were like, smile, yes, go right ahead. You, you go to auditions sometimes and they're like, you know, they're on the phone. <laughs> they were they were very giving to people that you, so he says, go ahead, I read this. They start laughing. I finish and they said, could you do it again, please? And I said, yes, of course. What would you like me to change? And they said, no, just read the thing about the house again. Because it was that my home, my home is the best home in all of yeah. Walnut Grove. It's, it's hilarious. It is hilarious. This poor girl who has no idea that she's embarrassing herself with this ridiculous essay where she's bragging about how, every, how much everything costs. And she says, we have three sets of dishes. One for, one for every day, one for Sunday, and one for when someone very special and important comes to visit, which we have never even used yet. <laughs> Because you live in a tiny town in Wallace, right. Minnesota, and you don't know anybody important or famous. The queen is not coming to dinner. And this poor child does not realize in her bragging that she's just let it slip that they actually don't know anyone. It's hilarious. And not maybe every 11-year-old, 12-year-old got the joke. or play. I got, I went, oh, that's really funny. And I made sure I did the time. So they wanted to see if this was like an accident or like I somehow got this joke and was playing it correctly. And so I did it again and they died of laughter and threw themselves around the room. And um, I left. And then by the time we got home and we didn't live that far from Paramount at the time, uh, the agent was on the phone and they'd already called him and said, no, she's hired. You know, we're wow. sign, her, sign her up. And that was it. So yeah, as I said, wardrobe fitting is Tuesday. That was it. It was done. It was like your wardrobe fitting. You you are. And then of course it's a seven year contract. Next thing I know, I'm in a courtroom signing a seven year contract, which nowadays is unheard of. But that was that was like a thing back then. It was crazy. So did did they have Catherine McGregor already signed to play your mother? Because honestly, you play like a mother daughter pair there, like it was supposed to happen that way. Right. Like, you know, a lot of people in the show, they talk about having to be approved by network. I have no idea if I was approved by network because Michael often just went la, 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 my show. Um, and network would say, we need to see them. And he go, too late. I already hired them. <laughs> he did not care. Um, right. And a couple of people network, even Karen, even Karen Grassley, who in, who in her new book is fairly critical of Michael. She tells several really great stories about, well, he did, duh, give me an entire career and the job. But she says, it was difficult. But one of the stories she tells how he totally like saved her bacon was when she was supposed network got all weird and network said we have to have a screen test we don't know who this woman is we have to have a screen test she has to do this and jump through all these hoops and michael said no she shows up for the screen test he goes we're not doing it she's like wait what he goes yeah i'm gonna interview i'm just gonna ask you a bunch of stuff and you just talk and answer questions and i'm sending them that i'm not doing any of this stuff the network is telling me to do. You have wow. this job and I'm going to, and they're going to see you talk and they're going to figure it out that you're perfect and we're going to get on with our lives. No, who does that? So in a world where network would have actually had to approve, I think Catherine McGregor and I probably would have had a screen test together. Right. And that day, of course, would have seen it was genius, but we did not, I did not meet her till I got there. And right away, it was like, wow, this is like perfect. <laughs> so, so was, so Michael Landon was basically in control. He saw you, he saw her, we're hiring him on the spot. 
Higher pay. In fact, poor Karen's story was he jumped up and said, that's it, you're hired. And the other producers went, wait, 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 no, wait. And he went, oh, wait, I have to actually like call the network. Sorry. Right. Uh, <laughs> he was ready to go to work right then and there. Um, he did. He picked people. If, if he didn't have to do any network consultation, he hired them instantaneously. And if the network wanted it, he would hire them and then argue with the network about it later. Uh, <laughs> because he, he was a star of the show. He was writing the show. He was directing the show. And he was the executive producer and had a piece of the profits. So he had like five paychecks um so yeah he ran the joint and i mean literally the wardrobe would say here's your new costume for this year and then i'd be marched out to like make up where he was and he would have to like prove it i mean he literally mm-hmm. props i don't like this prop in this scene get me something else they break the yeah so it was like that detailed so when you when you played off it and how, how vicious you were towards the ingles girls did you actually have a friendship with with uh, Melissa Gilbert? And right. That's the funny thing is that Melissa Gilbert, we met, we hit it off right away. I think it's because we both came from showbiz families. Melissa Gilbert's dad was uh, Paul Gilbert, the actor. Now, he died. When she, he, it was during the show. She was, gosh, 11. Yeah, because I was like 13 when her dad died. And it was very tragic. She was, it was it was a very messed up thing. He'd been sick. And then apparently he took his own life, but they didn't talk about it back then for like 20 years. Nobody talked about mm-hmm. it. And, but he'd been in excruciating pain. It was really a terrible, the parents were divorced, but he lived nearby and he saw the kids and then he died suddenly. And she was very young and they're like, no, you can't go to the funeral. No, no, no. And this was, this was like the very old fashioned mindset of let's just not talk to the children about death and it'll somehow work out. It's like, it's her father. Um, and it didn't. Um, and I was like the only person who talked to her about that. So we were close. We bought her, her grandfather was Harry Crane, one of the creators of the honeymooners. Right. So her whole family is a dynasty. And then I came from, my dad was working at Seymour Heller and Associates. He worked for Liberace. He was Liberace's manager and he was on Broadway. And my mother was Casper the Friendly Ghost. Ghost, yeah. Uh, so we both had been in the business since birth we had both and she had worked as a tiny like a toddler in commercials so we i mean there's video of her dean martin's like christmas special yes I've and seen they it. have that part it is in melissa gilbert is like yeah. this big she's like three inches tall and she's she's a, like a barbie doll and she's in there yeah so we'd grown up hanging around all these famous people in hollywood so we were sort of like you know, give me a cigar. Hi there. Hi there. Yeah. If you called your agent, what's up? Like 40 year old midget. So we hit it off immediately and we bonded and um, neither of us, had, we didn't have sisters. So we're like sisters. Yay. We both, right. So we, we, slumber, we were having slumber parties at each other's house and it was so crazy because all week long we're sticking our tongues out. We're punching each other in the face. Right. We're doing a terrible things. I'm blackmailing her. She's putting pepper in my food. We're doing all these evil things to each other all week. And then after work at the end of the day, we would, um, cause we had to go like a certain distance before she went off to her house. So we'd get in like one car and then divide up. We'd go to Seven Eleven for Slurpees after work. Like, like grownups would go for a martini. <laughs> right. like, you want to get a Slurpee? You want to grab a Slurpee? <laughs> the way I'm young, get up here. And we'd go get Slurpee. And then on the weekend, we'd spend like from Friday night till Sunday night at each other's house, having, you know, making fudge and, and watching right. TV. So, yeah, it was so weird. That That is interesting. And you, and you mentioned about your dad and your mother. Your mother was the voice of Casper the Friendly Ghost. Yeah. And I see if I look very closely back there, I see Gumby. And she was also the voice of Gumby and Wendy. Wendy the Witch. 
there's there's Gumby is back there. And then can you hand me Davy? Since my husband's here, I can have him hand me things. So she was cast for the friendly ghost, uh, and everybody else in Nightmare and Wendy. Right. And she was um Gumby. And then when uh Prickle and Goo showed up, she was Goo, and the guy who was pokey was Prickle. And she was also, wait, I'm being props and being handed props. We love Dave this. and Goliath. <laughs> yes, Goliath. Yeah. Um, my mother was was Davy on Davy. Davy. That's I have the bobblehead. Never this is my mother's bobblehead. Um, she was Davy on Davy and Goliath, and she was Sweet Polly Purebred Underdog's girlfriend. That's right. Wow. I mean, she I had like one... about a billion others. Those were just the, those were the ones she was a regular on. She would pop up in cartoons. I'd be watching cartoons as a kid, and suddenly somebody's mother comes in. It's, it's my mom. It's her voice. Yeah, it's freakish. Well, okay, and I, I I was not going to go in this direction, but I have to because when I think of Gumby, not only do I think of the character your mother played, but I think of Eddie Murphy doing it on Saturday Night Live. What did your mother think of that? She did not approve. Um, <laughs> she wasn't approved, but she was a proper Canadian woman, and she also she was really into her characters. It was weird because people said, "Well, how do you do like?" a little raccoon or a squirrel mm-hmm. she goes, well i don't i say is it a little boy raccoon is it a little girl raccoon right. is it a tough little boy so like casper's a sweet little boy spooky the ghost is a little tough little boy and um there's a casper album where it's like a cast of thousands and musical uh-huh. but it's two people it's her and a guy and she does i'm boo boo the beautiful ghost it's like a maryland ghost i mean she does like weird stuff she would get really into her characters which is why they worked so she felt sort of attached to gumby so she she watched she liked saturday night live but she watched the sketch and just said no no that's not gumby no because I, I can imagine i can imagine i'm just thinking it convincing your mother to say i'm gumby damn it would be would be would be no, priceless. That's, that's right. She was just like, no, no, man, that's name can't be with it more. Just like you are dismissed. Yes, oh, like the royal. Funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she was now she liked um when they did what was it, moral oral, where they did a send up of Davy. Yes. Okay, she thought that was pretty funny. She was like, Okay, yeah, well, yeah, it is pretty much she goes, although it's hard to do a satire of it because it almost is like a parody. A satire the original, it comes yeah. off like somebody made this up as a parody. She said when she was doing it, she was like, really, guys? Um, yeah, because she said it was like, come on, Goliath, let's go outside and pray. Uh, <laughs> just like, and she said, no matter what Davy was doing, that dog was like, God knows, Davy. God will know. She's like, oh man. And she and she literally <laughs> sang Kumbaya. There's an episode where they had to say. Um, so yeah she would roll her eyes over the Davy thing so she she thought the the send up to Davy she's like yeah pretty accurate uh but uh Casper was sacred as yes yes absolutely oh that's funny I mean that should be your stand-up right there you could probably do all your mother's voices and uh yeah oh I do talk about on the show absolutely because I talk about like the people you can tell like, okay, now you went, are you, you're a Gumby person, aren't you? Are you a Gumby person? Oh, yeah, are, you a, yeah. are you an underdog person? I was, I was Gumby underdog and also Casper because I'm in my mid fifties. Yeah. So I remember all that. But type of person I would peg you as a Gumby or an underdog because okay. I started to where I could tell like the Casper people, they smile a lot. They want to be your friend. Um, Gumby people, very, a little weird, a little sci-fi, a little like Trekkies. Okay. Uh, underdog people, very intelligent with a quirky sense of humor. And then there's the poor Davy people. Um, yeah, when you see someone with 27 piercings and a pentagram carved on their chest, it's like, what happened? I watched too much Davy and Goliath. 
Yeah, they're either they're either fundamentalist preachers or high priests of Wicca. Uh, Davy had a weird effect on people, and um, so I talk about. I said, it's, but it's cartoon astrology. It's the, it's like astrological science. It is cartoon astrology, and I am a Casper, but with a Gumby rising and and a moon and underdog. So yeah, it's that's it's funny. I mean, that is. I so mean, I. That... I, I I think I think you're an underdog with a Casper rising. Okay, really. that I works I for me. That, yes, I think that you works are. for me. So, <laughs> growing up, you made a comment in 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 the book that you grew up in a castle that Literally. was actually um, an apartment complex that you were living in 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 Hollywood, and you make the comment in, in here when you talk about Liberace. And no one mentioning that he was gay. Yeah. But yet the little old ladies knew it, but yet they were using code words. Yes. Well, remember, like, what was it? Um, what Clay, the, 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 the claymates, that, that guy, Clay, was so yes. very gay and supposed to be a sex symbol. This is a com, was a common threat. I mean, in the olden, olden days when people didn't come out on TV and you had these stars, Rock, Rock, Rock Hudson. Rock okay, Hudson. come on. Really? Seriously? Um, I mean, and there's still people going, Rock Hudson was gay. Um, but back in the day, there was a whole syndrome where a star would be gay and he'd be very closeted and they'd get him a fake girlfriend, wife, whatever. And everyone would say, no, 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 there are no gay people in this story. Absolutely not. But there always was a segment of the fandom where we're like, duh, but we like him anyway. They just wouldn't right. talk about it. And when I was a kid, I went to Liberace's show. I remember this is Liberace never, Liberace sued a magazine for saying he was gay. Yes. And won. Like, ponder that. So <laughs> this, this man was like, no, 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 not gay, not gay. But as I said, my parents take me to the show and said, don't say anything because nobody knows Liberace's gay. And I said, I'm eight. I know he's gay. And I said, you know, he's wearing rhinestone hot pants. He just literally yes. flew over the stage. What, what, what are we all doing here? <laughs> and he was so obviously, by today's standards, you go, oh, come on, come on. Yeah, he's right. Like There's no way he's hiding it. Yeah. But these women, they loved him and they bought all this stuff. They worshipped him. But I heard them and they were all the old cliches of, oh, yes, he's that. Allison, I just lost you. Your audio just went out totally. There you go. That is are you because it got muted on your end. It got muted on my end? Because now you're back. Did you just I didn't touch anything? No, I didn't touch I anything. Didn't touch before nothing was happening now suddenly there's sound after i yeah. said it, yeah well there you're back it was like the haunted interview it was just like it, it was a mirror ghost um but yeah these women was going you'd be safe with him oh he's one of the ooh, ooh, giggle 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 and that was the thing if you had said to these women is this man gay is he a a homosexual they'd have said oh how awful how can you say such right. a terrible thing about this lovely man but if you said so do you think you'll marry him They'd have gone, <laughs> no, I mean, come on. <laughs> so it was like this weird zone that people occupied back then where, I mean, well, all those characters on TV with like, you know, um, 
uh, well, Oscar and Felix, you know, Felix yes. Unger, uh, every character that Paul Lind ever played, ever did, all yes. these characters, you know, Dr. Bombay, all these kind of characters in shows, yes. fussy uncles, as they go, they so were like, and you go, so is this supposed to be like um, the gay neighbor? What, what, what is this character? What is this? Now we look at this and go, what is that supposed to be? What is happening here? And back then, no, there were confirmed bachelor who's what? very particular. And now we go, it's, oh, it's a gay character. Yeah. And and that, that, so there was this weird limbo that gay characters in entertainment lived in. It was very bizarre. And Liberace somehow tapped into that. And do you know he was the highest, enter, uh, highest paid entertainer in the world yes. at one point? Yes. It was like the gay Elvis. His yes, concerts were amazing. Out. He is the man, the famous phrase um, about when people say crying all the way to the bank. That's mm -hmm. him. Yeah, because they, they, he was criticized and he but his shows were all sold out. And he said, oh, I read that terrible review and I cried all the way to the bank ah, mm -hmm. <laughs> because it was true. Yes. So, no, he was he was a genius and he was brilliant and he was really cool. I mean, my dad worked for him and Seymour was his right hand man. And if you saw that movie that was made about him, uh, Dan Aykroyd played. Seymour Heller. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Most accurate, terrifyingly dead on performance really? ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think, well, because Debbie Reynolds was in it, and Debbie Reynolds was a client of Seymour Heller. So she knew she was there. Right. So she may have instructed him because he would sit down and go, harumph. And I, when he did that, I screamed because I went, oh my God, it's Seymour. Um, so it was like, that detailed but that's the thing these people loved him and everyone who worked with Liberace has stories like you know shirt off his back oh my god he took care of my family and he did this and mm -hmm. he did that and he's like the, the the best person on in the universe to work for he was just he was a great person um but yeah you people in today's world we watch these shows and these clips and we go how how is this happening who bought tickets to this what does this mean <laughs> right but i will say this he was one heck of a talented uh pianist because i mean it was brilliant right and that was the thing it was like okay do i go on to like the conservatory thing mm -hmm. do i go classical am i good enough to make it in the top top tier classical maybe not but i'm better than all the and then i thought people aren't getting enough classical music he said there's a too much of a divide he talked about it all the time he said there's the the, the class of people who go to opera right. and classical music and then the people who go to supper clubs and cabarets and he said why should they be denied mm -hmm. classical music and so he said that he was going to bridge the gap and he did yeah. And I actually have a few of his albums back here somewhere. Um, I have the soap. I got the picture soap somewhere. Oh, do you really? Oh, cool. Bath, Liberace. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, yeah. And the picture disc. I got the disc. The disc. The disc. The disc. Back too? then, they did a thing. Very primitive. It was just a vinyl thing, but they yes. would imprint the photo on the album. Mm -hmm. and oh, God, I love all that. Stuff. Yeah. So I'm going through this and you're talking. You said you were eight years old. You knew. Yeah. And oh, yeah. there's also a thing in here. You were saying you were watching Peter Pan, but it was not the Disney's Peter Pan. It was Mary Martin's Peter Pan. Real and, Peter Pan. <laughs> and, it was, and it was like really creepy that you it watched was. it. It's did. Do you feel that you, because of what your mother and dad did, you lost that innocence of childhood earlier than the average person would have? I think I think I was attuned to a lot of things. I was, you know, I just say, but I was a smart little girl. But I was a smart little girl. I think I picked up on things. I noticed. I mean, when I was really little, grownups would say things like, "Oh, you're an old soul," whatever. But I picked up on things. I could watch 
movies and TV shows that weren't for children. I go, yeah, I get, I get it. I get the plot. I know what's happening. You didn't have to explain it. And that's why I was always in trouble at school because I always wanted to check books out of the library that were sixth grade reading level. And they'd say, you're in the, you're in the third grade. No, you can't have that book. So I'd go home. My mother would go get it for me. <laughs> but I, I like, I got it. I got like the plot of things. I was like, well, so in watching and yeah, Peter Pan, the musical, it's not really for children. I mean, it's, you take the kids to, but it's very much for adults. The whole running joke that, you know, uh, Mr. Darling, Wendy's dad, is played by the same actor who then plays Captain Hook. Hook yeah. uh, there's all this stuff from the book. The book is kind of dark and disturbing. If you ever read the original book mm-hmm. and stuff about uh, Mrs. Darling had a kiss in the corner of her mouth that Peter Pan was mm-hmm. going to get. There's a lot of weird stuff going yes. on in that story that it's not yeah. really it's not the little Disney one. You're like, well, and Peter Pan's always like sitting around. What an adventure to die. It's like, excuse me. Why? Where is this? Guy? So it's a, it's a weird story to begin with. And I picked up on that. I said, this is a very peculiar <laughs> movie. And the musical was so weird. And I'm sitting there going, because I, I didn't, as a child, I'm not going, oh, yes, the star Mary Martin. I'm going, why is the middle-aged lady playing a little boy? Boy. This is very odd. Yeah. And why is the grown man dressed as a pirate, who also was in the other scene playing Wendy's dad, now dressed as a pirate, chasing the middle-aged lady around, who is dressed as a little boy, dressed now as a lady, and singing a song, Beautiful Lady. This makes, absolutely, this is the most convoluted, Whoa. Talk about gender fluid. This is right. a, a very progressive piece of theater that I'm viewing here. <laughs> and well, I'm like, what are you going? It go this way. Now I will I will I will go up front. My audience knows this, but my son is in musical theater. He's in graduating from college this spring. He was in Peter Pan, which was the Mary Martin version. Yes. And I'm watching it, and the guy that played Captain Hook, like you said, was the father. He comes off very flamboyant as a pirate. So what message are they trying to tell you that there was a adult man chasing a little boy? I mean, what are we telling these people here? A middle-aged lady. Right. There was a little bit. Yeah. And who then is dressed as a boy who is now dressed as a younger woman with a veil. There were so many things going on at the same time. And I was just going, adults are crazy. (laughs) 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 What am I watching? This is the most complicated thing. It's like, and this is supposed to be a musical for trial. What what is even happening here? I don't know. Um, so I found it fascinating and I thought that's why I, I decided early on grown-ups were all out of their minds. Um, but I thought, yeah, okay. And I, of course I loved Captain Hook and to this day, and I ain't talking about the book, Captain Hook has this, the whole song where it's like, you know, Mrs. Hook's little baby boy, where he's saying, Captain Hook, Captain, who's the worst at Captain yes. Hook? And at one point he stops and starts going on about when children play Peter Pan, the bravest and the brightest and the strong gets to be Peter. They make the baby play hook. Okay. It's, it's freaking right. hilarious. And Captain, baby, that is where the canker gnaws. And it's screamingly funny. And the guy totally does it. But here I am now, 8 million years later. And when I talk to people who say, oh, yes, we used to play Little House on the Prairie as children. Oh, really? Well, yes. Well, my sister was the most popular in the boss. So she, of course, she insisted she got to be Laura. Ah, and then uh-huh. our older sister liked to teach us. She got to be Mary and we would play school. And then uh, our neighbor girl, she got to be Miss Beetle and blah, blah. And I'm going, and, 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 well, our baby sister was really little. So we let her be Carrie. And we, well, 
I was the smaller kid and I wasn't as popular and I went, but so they made me be Nelly. And I'm like, the baby, they made it's it's true. I've had people say, Yeah, I drew the short straw, I lost, I had to be Nelly. And I like, this is all terribly familiar. Um, so yeah, there is some kind of through line of all of us people who played villains through history. Right. Of how yeah. we're remembered and and how how we're reenacted by children. <laughs> so have you noticed a new resurgent? Because I noticed that um one of the retro TV stations, Cozy TV, is now running Little House on the Prairie in the we afternoon twice Cozy a day. TV. We love Cozy TV and Inspiration TV and Me TV and all of you and Pax and Hallmark and all of your <laughs> lovely stations who run our show endlessly over and over again. Yes. And did, um, have you noticed that people? It, it started in the 90s. It's like Little House ended in early 80s. It ran to like 83. Yeah. Um, and I was actually in it in 83 because I, I did seven years and I went back in season nine for the one episode with Nancy. So then it ends and we thought, okay, we're done. We're all going to do something else and everyone's going to forget about this. Ah. Right. And then in the 90s, what happened is we started having, oh gosh, um, Nickelodeon, uh, yes. VH1 with I Love the 70s, all these sort of retro things started happening. They started, and then it came out on DVD. And then it was like all hell broke loose. And suddenly I'm getting recognized in the streets. And I'm like, am I like more recognizable now than I was when the show was on. What is going on? And then all of these shows, all of these channels start just started to explode. And all these nostalgia shows, like I said, I love the 70s, whatever right. happened to, just blew up. And I was getting interviewed constantly. And they were doing all these retrospectives. And I went, okay, it's never going away now. <laughs> and yeah, if you if you have cable and you live on the, like, the Canadian border, yes. I think you can watch it six times a day. Wow. Yeah, that's it's just on somewhere. And I now mean, it's streaming on Amazon. It's streaming on Amazon. Yeah. And then it's in every country on Earth and it's on DVDs and Blu-ray in every country and every language on Earth. And so yeah, you can see it anywhere. What's interesting in my house, and it is on when my wife my wife gets home early enough, because I I work an odd schedule. I'm done at three in the afternoon. She's usually done at five. So if she gets home and there's nothing on TV and she does not want to watch the news. Little House comes on in the kitchen while she's making dinner. Yep. yep and I'll yep. walk and I'll walk past and then I get I sit down and then I get sucked into it and I start watching it again. And it's like this is really interesting because it's it's, it's a part of the, my childhood that I do remember watching. Now I never admitted it to my friends. I will tell you that because it was boys never show. watched it. Chick it. Show. Yes. Totally a chick show, and nobody watched. But and if but people kept it. Also, everyone in the country watched it except people in New York and L.A. who said they didn't watch it and lied. I used to say people pulled the blinds and then sat there going, "Oh, the raccoon yeah. died." Um, so yeah, I've met people who swear they never watch it, and then they start talking, and suddenly they're talking about specific episodes yes. like how would you suddenly know that if you swear you never yeah mm -hmm. yeah but but it, it's it's interesting so i've asked um and, he, and he'll be on my show later this later uh at the beginning of january uh stanley livingston who was on my three sons Love stanley yes and we talked about are you seeing any benefits of it running in syndication are you seeing any residuals at all 
Yes. Um, our show, Little House, started in 1974, which is the same year as the Screen Actors Guild in perpetuity clause, which meant you get residuals forever. Now, it's a sliding scale. Every time they run it, it goes down a notch. So the residuals in the 1980s, when the show was like still running in prime time, we we're like still making it and we we're getting massive first run regular tv residuals it was ridiculous yes that was that was a goodly sum money was coming into the transom and the windows um then each year we'll get a little less little less little less now yeah y'all can get lunch you know um it's really small now and then the dvds technically we do get money from the dvds i often mention in my act that yes if the math works out to every one hundred thousand dvds i get a dollar so yeah, you can all go to Costco and fill the truck. Um, it's it's the math is really weird, and it's a percent of a percent of a percent of a percent. It's also based on how much you made, and we weren't being paid what people like on Friends got right. paid. We were we were thousandaires, you know. We weren't so going with those kind of numbers, and then going down every year and we're coming up on our 50th anniversary which is our 45th so you can imagine it's tiny and then the cable pays differently than the regular syndication and then the streaming pays different than that and the dvds pay different so it's like five cents from this and 10 cents from that and 49 cents and then they bundle it so if i get a check every now and then for a few hundred dollars i go Woo! but they all they do have to pay mm-hmm. something and they do collect it in drips and drips because because what I think is interesting is I don't think your fans realize that, that they assume that you always will get something from it of value. Oh, they and, think I'm getting a ton. They think right. they hear about friends, because if you're on a show where you're getting a million dollars an episode and it's only been in reruns for two or three years. Oh, my God. Yes, you're getting a lot of money. But do, you're still here. You're still you're still a vital part of the community. You're still doing this stuff. Do you feel that you were taken and not given what you're due for what this is doing, because this is, this is programming that people are using. They're still selling advertising for it. They're still selling good advertising for it. I mean, that's the thing. The poor people who were on TV shows prior to 1974, who yeah. got Zippo or got, what was it? Six showings, like uh, the Waltons. They show it six times. You get paid six times, seven times. And then from that on, it's like freebie. And they had to, they had to retroactively go back. There was a thing where, because like Leave it to Beaver and all those people were just completely getting zero. They went, oh, come on. And so there was a retroactive, but still it was like 10 cents. It's not very much money, but they, they had to do something. Um, and the unfortunately, the contracts for all of the endless cable stations and streaming, mm-hmm. the percentage should be higher. And I know they've been trying to raise it up each time this contract thing because they're going, we agreed to a ridiculously low sum because we didn't think this. Ca- Who's got remember when cable didn't win Emmys? It was the Ace yeah. Awards because cable oh, yeah. wasn't real. Yeah. So the, the contracts for how much people should get for cable reruns were written when cable wasn't real. So. They're, over the years, they've been going back and saying, oh, for God's sake, you got to pay more than that. But the fact that I'm post-74, so I get the in perpetuity, I'm like, yes, somebody somewhere does have to write a check whenever my thing is shown. Um, I feel that Little House did not pay as much as other shows. Mind you, for a 12-year-old, I made pretty good money. Also, I had a very good agent, so I wasn't getting just – I was I was getting above scale to start, so I wasn't, like, getting robbed. Um I have also parlayed it. I mean, after that, when I, I did, you know, came back for an episode, I got paid very well. I did a TV movie with Marie Osmond and got paid very well. And then I, st- I just did a movie in 20, uh, the thing, Even in Dreams, which is in theatrical release and just came out on DVD and Blu-ray. And I got, so 
I'm, I'm still working for heaven's sake. And then I parlayed it when I realized that this Nellie Olson thing was a culty kind of thing. And that little house had the following. It did. I went, well, for heaven's sake, there must be someone get on this action. And doing all the where are they now shows going to all the conventions yes. and then the little house that you have like both because you have like tv fandom and then you have little house fandom which has fans of the books mm-hmm. and history fans like they're like civil war reenactors because right. they're into all the 1800s the real lore and the real so you have that overlay so there are historical sites like the real walnut grove the real Desmet, south dakota that have fan events like like a star like if you could have a star trek convention on the actual enterprise Um, and so we have that happening and so i started like i I got in i went to those things and then as i said with my show capitalizing on that and then the book i've i absolutely that's why i started reading during the pandemic i i basically wanted to go back and reread the books because i hadn't read them in years and then I thought, well, everybody else is stuck at home too. So I started reading them online and everybody went bananas. And I went, well, of course, what a perfect thing to be doing. And, you know, I've got Dean Butler who's reading for me this week right now. He's, he's taking it because it's, it's, it's the chapters where Almanzo proposes to Laura. So we have Dean okay. Butler with Almanzo come on and read. Um, <laughs> but it's a thing. I have this whole weird like community now with my fans. And so I've been, I have been able to make Nellie Olson work for me. Um, so that's totally worked out. Yeah. Little House, it probably should have paid more. It didn't pay horribly, but it just didn't pay as much as some of the high end shows. Right. And as I said, we were in perpetuity. So I know I got, there were some years I was getting some very hefty residuals when many of my friends who were in shows who were filmed prior to that got nothing. So no, I, I can't say I got robbed. I, I got away with murder. I, I scored totally lottery. Did the studio get upset or do they get upset when you'd use the name Nellie Olson when you identify yourself? No, um, the people who have, of course, there's you know, the estate of Laura Ingalls Wilder, HarperCollins Publishing. And then, of course, uh, the Friendly Family Productions, Trip Friendly, still has rights to the show and all that stuff. Um, I talked to Trip frequently. And then, of course, um, I got my book published by HarperCollins, or as they said, we are the mothership. So the people who published... <laughs> Laura Ingalls Wilder's books published Confessions Yours. of a Prairie Bitch. Okay. And at the time, they actually, um, I am told that the day my agent called them back and said, yes, she's accepted the offer, a woman ran down the halls of HarperCollins screaming, we got the Nelly book, we got the Nelly book. So I know they're very happy about that, as was I. Um, but yeah, HarperCollins, who published Laura's books, published my book. So apparently they didn't mind. They, they were like, yes, Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, how I survived Nelly. I was like, we're so, so there. Um, it's massive promotion because every time I go out and jibber jabber about Little House here and I or I do a fan event or a show, um, you know, somewhere that's another creative DVDs order oh, yeah. or another set of streaming on Amazon. That button got pushed. So I or people and, you know, when I go to like book fairs and autograph shows, I'll have my book, but people will be buying their little they'll, they'll be in the bookstore. They'll be buying all the Little House books as well. At one point, I remember my agent when I was first touring with the book. People were buying so many boxes of the Little House books at the same time they bought mine. He said, I don't know, maybe we should call the publisher and ask for a kickback. (laughs) (laughs) This is crazy. This is their buyer. So rising tide floats all boats. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. I'm probably like the best advertising they've ever had. I don't know. But it's working for me. It's working for them. I'm I'm good with that. The the reason I ask is because a a few months back, I talked to Bob Denver's wife. Prima Denver, I love her. About 
about Bob dressing as Gilligan. And he had a cease and desist letter that he wasn't allowed to do that and he wasn't allowed to mention. And then he came back and said, but I am Gilligan. You don't understand. That's me. So I was just curious if, if you had the same constraints. Legally, that has been a gray area because it will say, well, this is a fictitious character and it's owned by said publishing rights, or right. so, et cetera. But if the actor is identified when they go, yeah, but I played them. So um, the funny thing is the only time um, I've ever dressed as Nellie, I mean, I put the wig on as a sight gag. Um, the only time I've ever actually dressed as Nellie specifically in full costume, that was NBC's idea. It was, uh, I talked about in the book, uh, I went to a fan event and Catherine and I went in full costume and I got beaten up. Um, but that was actually, that was somebody at the network had that bright idea. And we're like, yeah, it's a terrible idea. She got yeah. beaten up. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's uh, definitely, it's sort of a um, symp sympathetic relationship here. Yeah, because I, I find that interesting. And, and I think it's interesting, too, that in 1974, as you said in uh, Perpetuity, that they didn't know what streaming was. They didn't know what was the Internet was. DVDs didn't exist. Right. VHS did not exist. Cable did not exist. The idea was, well, if the show stays on for five years, it will go into syndication. It will run on, you know, Channel 5, right. on KCOP and KCT. Remember when, when, when things like Channel 11, Fox, what, there, there was no Fox, it was, you know, KCOP, and they ran yeah. Hobo Kelly and cartoons. Um, yeah, all these affiliate stations. So it would run over there, and that was it. That was the whole show. And then these cable things started happening. And well, and the idea of the VHS was who's going to go buy tapes of old television <laughs> shows? Who would funny, do that? Why would I tapes of an old show? One of my first jobs, you ready for this? I was a I was a salesperson for a videotape distribution company. And I would go into stores and sell them. And I couldn't understand why anybody would buy a VCR because they're going to record <laughs> what they just watched. And then I'm going, I, why would you go buy a book? Anyhow, but I had, I, I had the, in the 70s, the great, big, enormous, the, the big uh, three-quarter, the big giant VCR, the big JVC VHS could show with the lever that opens oh. the thing. God, don't, don't, well, you got a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder behind you. Yeah, I, I see. Yeah. You. So, hello, old school. Um, well, I, had, I, yeah, saw the, I still have a Betamax machine in my other uh, part of the house. It's this nobody knew. Uh, Matt Laberto, who was Albert on the show, actually joked we're in an interview thing during our, our 40th anniversary. He said, no, I believe that uh, eventually they will install a microchip and you'll be able to watch it on your eyelids. Uh, <laughs> it's like, yes, than you just, think. they're going to uh, keep on coming up with stuff. I think people watch it on their phone. It's, yeah. Oh. And that again. So when you go to these fan shows and stuff like this, do you have these little kids coming up? and talking to you like they knew who you are they've watched you because mom watches them they've read the books we're on like the seventh generation of viewers it's mostly still the moms weirdly like the biggest group i get are younger than me i mean obviously the people who are my age who grew up with the show they were little right. girls watching the show in the 70s but there's this whole the after school generation who watched reruns when they came home from school and the before school and the dorm room in college sat around yes. and watched it and played drinking games to the show so you have all these different groups so there's a whole gaggle of women in like late 30s early 40s i mean since okay. i'm 59 and these, these women who are in their 40s who are absolutely obsessed say who say i grew up with the show but they grew up with the reruns so they right. stopped making it when they were born and then there's like all these people in their like 20s and 30s who are like really the newcomers they're like the the blu-ray generation they're into it and often the young kids will be like 
I have no idea what my mother is talking about. Um, pizza. Pizza's and, here. Oh, the pizza man. Um, and then there's families where they've watched it all the way down okay. to the young kids who are dressing up. They're coming to the, the historical sites in the full 1800s clothes and the bonnets and everything. Um, France is like that. France, all the generations watch it. Also, men watch it. In America, as you know, you didn't tell your friends. You didn't tell no, your friends. not at all. It. It is not manly in America to watch Little House in the Prairie. Men tend to, uh, gay men will admit to watching it. There's a huge, huge, huge gay mm -hmm. following for Little House, huge. But straight men do not admit to watching Little House in the Prairie, unless you're in France. In France, grown men will come up to me just crying. This is my childhood. I watched this show. Um, it is considered completely normal for a grown man to weep over Michael Landon oh, while yeah. watching the television. And it, it was on, it started there running at lunchtime back when they had three channels. So the entire nation went home for lunch and watched Little House on the Prairie. House. So all hooked on it. But in France, you'll get everybody. You'll have the really young kids can name every episode and the grandma and and then the big truck driver husband who's seen every episode and cries. That, that, that is amazing to me. That really is. And you've been able to capitalize on it. Now, the funny thing is, we've been talking for almost an hour. Yes. We, <laughs> we haven't left Little House yet. Right, because it's all weird. It's the whole weird, all roads into Walter Grove, but it's like all these weird things I'm doing now. I get, yeah. you know, I get calls from parts, like I said, this movie, I just did Even in Dreams, which is great. But it's a young girl trying to keep her values in the music industry, keep her band together and mm -hmm. sing her sister song. And I play the evil manager who tries to exploit her and turn her into of a course. sex bomb and ruin her life. Um, but that was the thing is that this woman made a film. I met her. She was a young filmmaker. And, and the whole story of how she got this film made with everybody standing in her way and trying to stop her and made this movie. And she said, well, I'm going to make the sequel. And then it's like, oh, hey, it's the villain. I'm like, yes, I'm there. So people sometimes will call me and go, we want you to do this movie. Oh, she's kind of awful and a villain. Do you mind? And I go, mm. You're saying I can do it in my sleep then. Thank you. Okay. And, <laughs> so, um, and I always go, yes, what? that's great. So I do get calls for that. I did, um, there's a Christmas movie called Make the Yuletide Gay. Very popular on Netflix this time of year. Um, and, and on Amazon, it's Make the Yuletide Gay. And I'm the obnoxious neighbor. When they were making it, they said, she's kind of a Nellie Olson character. And they were trying to think who to get. And then one of the producers said, well, you know, why do we look for something like that? Why don't we just go get that? Let's call right, her. Exactly. See if she'll do it. <laughs> so I'm like, hi. Um, so it does affect everything. Little House does impact things. I, I mean, you watch it. You know. Oh yeah. We got on, it does impact. It. Everybody watches it. Everyone has seen it. Everyone has heard of it. Everyone has some kind of reaction to me, knowing that I was that person. And it's always there. And and you know, even, as I said, the charity stuff I'm doing January 29th, the big gala for Radiant Health uh, Services in Orange County. It's a big AIDS organization. I'm getting an award or a big fundraiser. Yeah, because they all know Nellie Olson and they want to come to all the work I've done in AIDS, all the work I've done about child abuse is because, oh, the celebrity from Little House in the Prairie who has come to talk. Does it bother you looking back on it that you were typecasted or are you happy that you were typecast in this role later on? at the end of it all yes yes i'm happy i mean yeah absolutely my 20s when i wanted to be the beautiful 20 something sex bomb and not be be on dallas or dynasty like a nighttime <laughs> soap and have really big hair and shoulder pads and lots of boobs and wear a bikini i was like yes and they're like no um and i of course i wanted to do all of that and i i, I was i was a hooker on fantasy island i was a hooker on fantasy island i was very sexy and it was very tragic it was tragic hooker on fantasy island um eve plum jan brady played my yes. mother 
same age. Um, uh, but it was one that she goes into the future because she's pregnant, not going to live to see her child. Ricardo Montalbonte, and yeah. I've run away from home, become a hooker, and it's very tragic. She saves me. But that was like the closest to sex bomb TV I got. And I wanted to do that, and it just it just didn't work. It just did not work. And then when I said, okay, fine, fine, I'm the villain. <laughs> And everybody went, oh, okay, great. <laughs> so I guess that worked out. So when you wrote the book, how long did it take you to write it? Because I'm sure this was something that was going on in your mind from day one. Yeah, yeah. There were times as a teenager, my friends would go, you are writing a book, right? You're writing this stuff down as it happens. And there were times I wrote, I was writing stories and things. And so a few years before I wrote the book, somewhere in the like late 80s and 90s, I got a couple of magazine articles published because I was writing about AIDS because I was working doing stuff with AIDS Project mm-hmm. Los Angeles and AIDS education. And I wrote about the AIDS crisis and the in Frontiers and Designers West. So I'd written, I'd been published, you know, I could, you know, hold a pencil. So I'd done it, but then I had been writing little bits about my life and going eventually the book. and then when i did the one woman show the confession of prairie bitch which was all i said okay fine to heck with the material so my mother and i are at this thing and i start telling all the true stories and people went wild so i went well we'll do that and so i was kind of writing the long versions going i guess you should write the more detailed one well then when kent uh, d wolf marvelous literary agent new york calls me up and says um is there a book to go with this show and I said there could be he said I need four chapters I go I have four chapters and we went from there and um nine months I guess once they fired off the starting pistol and said okay go write the bloody book now and then they sent their edits and that was crazy then that was like another nine months with the editor on the phone going write 10 more pages and call me in the morning what because I'm editing you're gonna cut things no we're gonna make you write more things um and so that was a whole process and then epilogue and prologue and cover art. And then, then it was, but yeah, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work, but yeah, there were things that I'd written like several years before where I went, oh my God, do I have that story? Cause that's a great story. I need to put right. that in. Yeah. So when you wrote it, cause there's, there's some situations with your brother and all that situation, you had no problem sharing that with the world. No, it's, you know, that's the thing is, is it would be the kind of person I am who is open about everything. And the fact that I had been doing all this political action work with Protect, the National Association to Protect Children, going to Sacramento and to Washington, D.C., and talking about child abuse law. And I'd gone right. on Larry King and, and Larry King Live and talked about this law about the incest exception, which is insane. That's Thank like, you. oh, if you abuse the child next door, it's 20 years. Oh, it's your own kid. Well, you're free to go. Like, what? Um, so, you know, this ridiculous stuff that was happening. It would be insane for me to write a book and not talk about it. Right. And so absolutely. Now, I mind you, I had a whole conversation with my shrink and an attorney and a publicist and like everybody before doing any of this or going on Larry King. I'm always shocked when people do come out about these things. They haven't discussed it with their family or their therapist or someone. I'm like, y'all need to talk to a lawyer, two shrinks, a publicist, an agent, and, you know, um, and have that have a team in place, basically, before you do that, because it's extremely stressful. And you don't know what kind of reaction you're going to get and how you're going to react to that reaction. It's very can be very difficult. Um, In my case, it went really, really well, probably because there was so much planning and and forethought. Mm -hmm. So whenever you came, your mother and father, did did they know about it at first? Or did they suspect, suspect something or how did they find out? 
they were like so many people. And I think that is the other reason why I'm glad that I did it, because first of all, this happens to so many people. It's millions of people. And it is almost always someone in the family. Child is almost never sexually molested by a stranger. It's almost always. I, I had a defense attorney tell me that in 25 years of being a defense attorney, he'd never had a case where it wasn't the father. That's a damning statement. So right. unfortunately, there's always a relative who's a sexually abusing child. So to talk about that, people need to know that. And my parents were oblivious. As my father said, okay, there's negligence and gross negligence. We should have known. We we're absolutely negligent. We were not paying attention to things we should have been paying attention to. Absolutely. But that's what happens to millions of people. They don't know. Maybe they try to tell, but they're so young that the parents don't understand what it is they're trying to say. Don't get it that they're giving and there you are. Or the parents are in denial, as many people are. They'll see signs and go, yeah, it can't be that. And just put it aside. Whatever's happening can't be that. It must be something else. And this happens. And now, luckily, when I came forward, I was believed and they were distraught. They were like, Ooh, we really screwed up. Whereas many people go, no, you're lying. And like stay in that horrible state of denial, which is very unfortunate. Um, but yeah, the fact that this can happen in someone's home and someone can be too completely oblivious or in such denial or dealing with other stuff. It often happens if there's some other trouble in the home. That's why so often happens to kids who are uh, the parents are divorced or someone has died mm -hmm. or there's some crisis in the family and the abusers look for that and they know that, well, everybody's really busy with this other right. stuff. They're not going to be paying attention. So following this, it, with, when it, since it was your brother, how much older was your brother than you? Six years. Six years. And mom and dad didn't see anything that happened, had no idea what was going on. After it did come out, everything came out. Was the relationship, I mean, of course, it would have to be different with your brother between you and him. But how did mom and dad treat him? Or did they? Well, like, like most families, there's a tendency to see the perpetrator very much as a victim. The immediate impetus, like if it's a stranger, I talked about this on Larry King, if it's a stranger, People say, well, that's it. Get the shotguns and the pickup truck. But right. you say it's Uncle Harry. Oh, poor Uncle Harry. We got to get him some help. And it's like, wait, 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 what, what just happened? And that's the thing. When it's a family member, it's someone people know. They go, well, they, they, there must be some mistake. They must be ill. We must help them somehow. And, they, and, and of course, as we know, perpetrators are often good at playing the victim, unfortunately. So often there is a movement by the family to rally around, go, oh, the poor thing. And as opposed to the victim. Um, and so that's really difficult for the victims or the family will say, well, yeah, but they're still our family member. And OK, maybe we're going to treat them differently, but we're not going to cut them off because we don't know how. And so then you're stuck with them that way. Um, in my case, it was kind of a relief because coming at that openly, pretty much any contact I had been having with him, I didn't really want to have. It was like people trying to be polite and like, okay. oh, you should come to this thing and he's here. And, I, and then so finally, when it all hit the fan and was out, it was like, oh, well, I guess you really don't want to come over that they went. Right. Like, oh, really, I don't. Oh, and so I was like, yay. <laughs> Good. Because <laughs> that, that always interests me because, like you said, the, the, the perpetrator plays the victim very well. And the parents, your parents or any parent would probably be torn between the victim, both the, the perpetrator and the victim. And do the parents start blaming themselves for what happened? Yes. And, and, and they... in retrospect, and that's the thing. Okay, nowadays, what, you got your brochures and your PSAs on TV if your child is being abused and people talk about it all. The, there's commercials. If you were abused by a priest or your school right. coach, call this number. 
going on when I was a kid. So in today's world, the signs that were there, the behavior I exhibited, the things that I said now would be like, oh my God, she's being sexually abused. Oh, hello, let's you know, call the cops. You would t- totally, it's like if it was a TV movie, you'd go, hello, how do you not see this? But by those standards of the day, whoosh, nope, people, nope, 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 must be something else. And today's standards, you go, well, that seems rather obvious. Well, it does now in hindsight. So yes, so that was very difficult. But like, look at, was it the the Duggars, those people? The Duggars, yeah. The Duggars. I mean, he's been convicted of having child pornography, including infants. Yes. Yeah. How do, you, how do you sell that as, oh, we should be nice to him? That that gets really difficult there. Yeah. And it has divided the family. Some of the family members are going, well, you know, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is no good. He was abusing his sisters. You let that slide. And now look, now there's his babies, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what are really, we're supposed to hang out with this guy? No, this is terrible. We told you he was terrible. And then other family members are trying to go, well, how do we make this somehow okay? And it's like, well, you're not going to be able to. And sorry, you got a problem. So when you do you talk about this in your act to to let the audience know where you're coming from, or do you just gloss over it whenever you discuss in, in it? In my act, we, 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 we generally talk about the happy things. Um, of course, <laughs> now, if I'm talking to a group of people, like if I'm doing a benefit kind of thing where it's people from Protect, I yeah, I sometimes actually will okay. mention things, like mention being in Washington or whatever. And, and if I'm speaking just at a general Q&A thing, and there are people who are there who are into the whole like National Association to Protect Children and the whole child abuse law thing, and they ask questions, I'm like, oh, hell yeah, I'll talk about it. So protect, how long has protect been around? Oh my God. It's, it's been 20. How long have we been around? Um, yeah. Early two thousands. I'm just like, Oh, I can't believe this has been happening all this time, like 20 years a year. And, um, We've gone through a bunch of changes. We've done so much stuff with the Weiss Center for Child Rescue. We do a lot of high tech stuff. We moved into all this technology stuff because what they were seeing was the ICAT teams, Internet Crimes Against Children mm-hmm. Task Force, which were in every city. They were trying to kill. You know, well, like Jared, the guy from Subway, like yes. you know, that, that, when he got her, that that was those people. That the rest, that's that's ICAT. Um, the stuff they were having to do of trying to get the child porn off of people's hard drives and find the video is very difficult. And you've read stories about people encrypting things and hiding them and using mm-hmm. different technology. To, well, they were constantly playing catch up. And we started a whole program with people who knew how to make this kind of tech to facilitate this and like provide free tech and help them upgrade and invent stuff and go here try this so that the ICAC teams had better tech and could do this we also lobbied in Washington and said you know you have a federal funding package part of this federal money is supposed to go specifically to these teams that track the child exploitation and child pornography on the internet and we made sure that budget item got paid and got increased because they need it and they were lacking money and manpower and then we had old training program the hero corps training people to actually apprentice out to them and ultimately become icac team members so we yeah so we got the manpower and technology and money which is huge um we uh changed laws in seven states and now we're partnering with other organizations and doing stuff about child internet safety child education all the online education like just like all kinds of stuff um but it's a marvelous system of high tech because the future it's it's all this it's right. all on the computer and the phone well and the that's thing. what that's i was going to ask you with social media and that do you see that being another avenue that you're going to be able to 
get some type of handle on, or is that something you're going to be trying to go after for a long period of time? Oh, or does it doing, just change too much? Totally doing, doing, done and doing. Um, Because, you know, I, I got into Facebook relatively early and I liked all that stuff. It took me a while to get onto Twitter. But like when the book came out and I saw all these authors on Twitter, and that's where they were telling people where to go to their book signing. And then I went to a book signing, said, how many people found out where the signing was? Because like Twitter and my whole room raises their hands. I'm like, yes. Um, so I'm, I'm on TikTok. Huh? <laughs> I've only done like two videos. I'm on everything. And I you know, got the website and all stuff. Well, the readings was a fluke thing. It literally was everything I was doing was canceled. I was stuck home. I felt bad that I couldn't go out and entertain. I felt bad. I couldn't see my friends and my fans and everything was awful. And then my friends and fans were all feeling awful. And I started reading little house books. And then I thought, well, I should go online. And I went, I had Facebook live once. And that's because baby Grace taught me how uh, Wendy Liu played little baby Grace on the show. Mm -hmm. She's really good at Facebook and Facebook live. And she has a book. She taught me to Facebook live. So I, I sort of knew how to Facebook live. And I had zoom. No, I'd never zoomed. I'd never zoomed. And I had Facebook live once. I think I'd, I'd Skyped once. Suddenly, I'm Facebook living like multiple times a day and doing Zoom interviews <laughs> and being live. And then I had, I had a show. I would go down to this studio and interview people for UBN Go. And it was this internet radio show. And it would become a podcast. It was video like this. Right. And we couldn't go to the studio. So suddenly, my show is this from the living room. And then, like I said, my stand-up gigs got canceled and then they called and said, do you want to do your stand-up gig over there in the living room? And I got the backdrops and the things and the lights. And suddenly I got a theater in my living room. So suddenly I was doing my stand-up show on stage it, doing cameos and memos, mm -hmm. doing Facebook live, doing all the zoom calls with the interviews and stuff. Uh, and then I got, uh, I have a YouTube. We have a channel now called who's going to do the cooking with Alison Arngram. And I teach people to cook. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking about and Roku maybe next, not sure. Um, so yeah, all of this high tech stuff. I just talked to my friend, Howie Green who's an artist in Boston, Howie Green design. He designed my original website and we're talking about maybe creating an NFT. I oh, mean, cause really? that's. Yeah, because wow. he said, oh, God, I want to do it. Don't you want to do it? Let's do it. What do we do? I don't know. <laughs> we have to let, call someone. We don't know how. But we like we're going, we need like a Nelly NFT because this is what people are doing now and we want one. Um, so, yeah, basically, uh, I'm embracing all the new technology as I learn it and even before I learn it. <laughs> so so from 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 the prairie to the Internet, I mean, that should yeah. be the next book. I mean, that is. Well, and we got, and I've dragged the others are all on board. Cause like I said, Dean Butler, when days I couldn't read it, one thirty, Dean Butler, since we're getting to the episodes where in the book, where, where Hal Manzo and Laura get married, it's like, Dean, you're on. He's like, Oh, I love that part. And he's like, yeah. I like the long, can I read the long winter? So he's been, he's been now chatting with the fans and oh, they love him. So yeah, it's all these Prairie fans who were stuck at home and, and had people dying and were sick and everything was terrible. They were able to go online and this community of fans and there, here's, you know, Nelly and then Elmanzo and other people talking to them and reading the books and it's great, but they began talking to each other and people in LA and New York who were stuck alone in their apartments and had no friends were now suddenly friends. And they started zoom calling each other mm -hmm. later after the show and stuff. And there is now this community of fans all over the world from these Facebook readings and shows. Yeah, because I'm I'm an old radio guy. I worked radio for years, and when I when came it was radio, the internet, when the when the waves went through the air, when they when, and it was free. Um, ah. But when I did it, and then radio fell apart, and then I went into education. I also teach now too, and of all things, I teach. I teach English, 
but um, nine through 12 in high school. But with that, people said they wanted to see me when I did interviews. And I couldn't understand why they want to see me because I do have a face for radio. And it was like when Zoom came around, this was perfect because the guests were a little bit reluctant. But because of COVID, Zoom became accepted. And all of a sudden, now we're able to have a two-way conversation, which is really nice. talking to our phones all day now. Exactly. And it's great the Zoom thing. It's all the because now I do my interviews and so I have the video and it uh, it goes up on UBN Go and on my Facebook page and then it's kind of lives there. But then it rolls over and becomes an audio podcast on Stitcher and right, iTunes right. and all that jazz. So, with your stand up and with 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 your readings and everything else, what's next for Nellie Olson? Well, I got a show Saturday. Uh, Nasty right. Nelly's Naughty Noel. We'll be telling Christmas stories. Uh, we still do the Q and A. My favorite thing about stand up was doing my question and answer segment with the audience. I have these cards that say "Ask Allison Anything," and I thought, how am I going to do that? So I post on Facebook. Put your questions in now. Tell me your questions, and then I print them out. And we answer them during the show. So we still get to do Q and A. Um, so I'm doing that. Um, then there'll be a little break for Christmas. Although I have a lot of cameos and memos. People want. Apparently everyone needs Nellie Olson to wish someone a Merry Christmas. I, I, I go figure. I, I think um, that's fascinating. I, I get a lot on Mother's Day. For some reason, it's very popular to have Nellie Olson say Happy Mother's Day to your mother. Well, so, I, of so, course, so, one of the big. So the, do the, you do, do it? Do it? You do it politely, or do you do it snarkly? How 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 do you do this? I'm very nice. I'm very nice, but then sometimes they go, "Okay, fine, country girls." You know, I'll do the thing. You yeah. know, um, but like it's for some reason the big one on Mother's Day is please tell my mother to be happy that I didn't grow up to be like Nellie Olson. So you know, <laughs> um, that's like the stellar there. Uh, tell my mother she's a better mother than Harriet. And this is also so it's like okay. Um, so it's like funny stuff like that. Um, so I'm doing those, and then January 29th in Orange County, uh, Radiant uh, Health Services, uh, Compassionate Care, big big gala, and I'm going to be at that getting an award um what am i doing it looks like i will be at the uh cherry blossom festival in marshfield missouri in april should be in france in march don't have dates yet but we're trying to go back to france in march april may should be back in new york the Lori beachman theater is going to be reopening and the plan is for me to do my mother's day show there again um so yeah so i have bookings and stuff like through august uh you know if we don't all get ebola next week because we don't know what the peck's gonna happen next this is yeah I mean, you, you dealt with more disease on the prairie. Did you think you'd finally get it in modern times? I mean, See, that's not, we had, we had a huge resurgence of people watching Little House during the pandemic because we had an episode called quarantine and we had an yes. episode called plague and everyone was tuning in going, wait, I remember this now. Wait, you guys did this. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah we did this. We know, we know we were on the prairie. We know how to quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> you knew we how to that. social distance yeah that's right yeah we know what to do with a fatal disease from the prairie <laughs> well allison thank you very much this was a pleasure and a joy i really appreciate you taking time talking to me this afternoon this evening depending on where you're at i'm in the evening right now it's uh quarter after 10 here outside of pittsburgh so oh, pittsburgh. okay yeah i'm yes. in la it's like seven yeah. it's left to seven so i, I again grateful that you can could join us this evening go enjoy your pizza and hopefully i'll have the opportunity to talk to you again real soon excellent excellent thank you very much i had a very nice time thank you again thank you thank you so much uh-huh. bye-bye bye-bye
Hey, a big thank you goes out to Allison Arngren for joining us today here on One on One with Bill Alexander. Had a great time talking to Nellie Olson. And again, she sounds like she did when she was a kid all those years ago. The name of her book is called Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, How I Survived Nellie Olson and Learned to Love Being Hated. And I will post a link of the book, which is available on Amazon in the description of the podcast and also on the video podcast. And if you're watching us on Fayette TV, it will be on my website, which is oneononewithbillalexander.com. So again, thank you very much for joining us, Allison. Thank you very much again. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk to everyone else next time here on One on One with Bill Alexander. Thank you for listening to One-on-One with Bill Alexander. One-on-One with Bill Alexander is a million-dollar baby production. For more information, go to BillAlexander.net. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.